Amen. Good to be here. Thank you, tech team, again. Hey, Gabe, that second song, um, I, I don't know what it was, but your beat, that was, I'm, I'm going to call your brother Beats. That was a really cool beat on that one. And that last song, too, is really good. Thank you for that. That was really uh, encouraging to me. And um, thank you for everyone's hospitality and inviting us out here. Um, sorry we brought another hurricane your way. <laughs> And you know what, like I was thinking this morning, there's probably things I shouldn't have said. And there's obviously things that I wanted to say that I didn't, and then you're like, oh, darn it. But I don't want anyone to feel bad about me making fun of y'all's accent, okay? Because <laughs> in California, you're like, dude, <laughs> surf's up. You know, like, you could, it goes both ways. I get it. But here's the thing. I don't think you guys talk as extreme as I'm making it out to be. And I don't think I talk as extreme as you'd make out a Californian to be. I just think we're all, we're all the normal ones. They're the crazy ones, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Can't wait to go back to the left coast. Lands of the fruits and the nuts. Oh, Amen. Okay. <laughs> it just makes everything seem so sweeter and nicer. They could be like, bless your heart, and you're digging a dagger in your back. You're like, oh. Matthew chapter 17, we're going to continue on this thing of um, information revelation, transformation. And as you look at this, my thought is, I'm hoping no one makes a formula out of this. You know, we walk by faith, not by formulas. You know, we, we walk by the Savior, not by a system. We walk by the Master, not by a method. Let's just keep this alliteration going. Um, <laughs> But you could, make it, you could make it a thing. And I was just telling some, uh, some guys after church, I'm like, I don't even, I think I'm back on information. I don't even know where I'm at. Like I was throwing rocks down at people from the mountaintop of Revelation for so long. Like, oh, you don't know what I know. All you, you idiot fundamentalists, you know, that I was really mad at them at the time. And then transformation gets really tiring and you're like, oh man, this is really, because then you start doing it out of the energy of your flesh. Um, I don't even know where I'm at. But Here's what I know. When you go to a conference, sometimes you try to export things, you know, and you try to put it in your church, or you'll go, you'll go, like I just went to this, the, I know myself, um, I went to this, what's it, Network 220, is that what they call it, the conference, and then um, you're thinking like, oh man, they do this here, I'll just take this back there and it'll work there, you know, it's a plug and play thing, and I don't think that always works, um, definitely in Utah. What, what worked outside of Utah would not work in Utah, like putting the name of your church on your church van. <laughs> that doesn't work. Um, there's a lot of things that don't. So, and here's what I'm thinking. Well, God never gave, gave Israel the same battle plan twice. That's what I do know, right? So what worked at Jericho wouldn't work at Ai, which is the next city, and so on and so forth. 
And I think what God was doing is he was putting the nation of Israel in a position to where they couldn't trust in, like, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it type of idea, and let's just keep doing the same thing. Because then you would end up trusting in the method or the formula rather than that generation had to have faith in God every single generation. So they couldn't look back and say, well, let's just do what Joshua did. Let's just do what they did. Let's just do it, you know, uh, Paul did. Let's just do what Buddy did. Uh, let's just do what Ben did. Let's just do what Neil did. Uh, don't do what, um, is the pastor's name's Justin? Don't do what he did, because he got COVID. <laughs> but you could do what everyone else. Um, my point is this, is that God, I, even, okay, so I'm going through the gospel of John at our church, which is called Grace also, um, and when I was coming to, we're in, what, what, we're in John chapter 9, I think, and Jesus heals the blind guy, and they had that discussion at first, you know, is it his sin or his parents and all that, but Jesus heals him in a totally different way that he heals other people. And if you just hijack one thing from Jesus and you make that a formula, Jesus didn't even make it a formula. Sometimes he was so geographically separated from someone, he told the guy, just go home, your son's okay. He, he, sometimes he touched him. Sometimes he was touched. Um, sometimes he, you know, uh, just he, I think Jesus operated by absolute total dependence on the Father. So, He's like, anything that I do, anything that I say, it comes from the Father. So he was always living in a posture and a position of total dependence. And so if the Father told him to do it a certain way, he would do it. And I think that's what the nation of Israel was, was put in the position to do, to where they, sometimes they stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes it's go forward. Sometimes it's go back. Um, and so God put them in a position to where they needed to trust in the Lord. So when I... When I throw up this little cute little information, revelation, transformation thing, please don't make that a formula. I'm just kind of making it a little bit of an outline because when, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John, all I'm trying to say is he gave them information that was correct because Jesus is the truth. So they had to think correctly about God. They thought, they thought about Jesus in a correct way. Then they went up to the mountain, and then he... He pulled the curtains back and showed them who he really is. He's God in the flesh, and he is the light. And they saw that, and he was just transfigured. He was metamorphosed right before them. And they were so in awe that they fell down, and they worshiped, and that's where we're going to be tonight. And then my thought was, well, then they're going to take that and go back down the mountain and take what they got from God and give it out to the people. Transformation. Because my whole thing, I guess, is in our grace communities, a lot of times there's seasons to where you tell someone, hey, you don't have to give. God still loves you. You don't have to come to church. God still loves you. You don't have to read your Bible. God still loves you. And you know what people do? They're like, cool. <laughs> Never wanted to anyways. <laughs> Thank you. And so... I'm just trying to say, like, real encounters with God kind of sometimes translate into what a lot of people, when they experience an encounter with God, is they said, what do you have me to do? Right? And then they would participate. 
They're not looking for ways to get out of it. They're looking for ways to get into it. And so uh, that's where I was just kind of trying to go with this. So um, it, Matthew chapter 17, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and, his, and John, his brother, and led them up high, up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shined like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, of course, you know, representing the law and the prophets, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And this morning, what I forgot to say on the, the milk and the meat thing is, you ever go to Hebrews chapter 5 and 6? Of course, the whole theme of Hebrews is Christ is better, right? Better than Moses, better than the law, better than the angels, better than creation, better than the old covenant. Christ is better. And then he has this, he says, I wish you guys were, you know, teachers, but you need someone to teach you again. And that's, and he's like, you have need of milk and not meat. Um, and then um, basically he's saying it's easier to, <laughs> um, to grow old than to grow up. <laughs> but in chapter 6, then he's, he talks about certain doctrines. And my takeaway from that is that the doctrines are the milk and Jesus is the meat. You could search it out yourself. I'm just saying, that's what I forgot to say on one of those things. Anyways. So, <clears throat> so Peter's making, you know, this tabernacle for Moses and Elijah, and he's theologically incorrect. Jesus doesn't really spend a lot of time dealing with him on that. Um, he, he just knows that it's good to be there. It's good to be there in this experience where he's seeing God in a bod, right? California, uh, what? Well, we use, there's a lot of Spanish. I was just going to I was going to you don't even know what I was going to say in your heart. Um, it's God con carne, right? Like the chili con carne or carne asada. Um, it's Jesus with me, but he's showing the light, and, and they're just so enamored by this and taken back by it that they respond the way a lot of people responded when they had an encounter with God, is they, they fell down. And they heard this voice in verse 5 um, and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. I just love that. They didn't see anyone but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, that's where we're going to focus today. As they're coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Lord, I just pray. We've had awesome prayer already. We've had uh, great uh, music. We've had great fellowship. Um, this conference is in, is in your control, whatever. These are your children. Church is your idea. Preaching's your idea. Singing is your idea. We're really just joining you and your ideas. Lord, we might not be doing it all the way that we should or the way that's maybe the best, but here we are, Lord, and I just pray that we would just have just sweet fellowship with you and with each other, and that you would turn the lights on and connect the dots for us, something that we can't do for ourselves. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
So if we go back to verse 5, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Verse 5, it's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So I mentioned it in passing this morning, and I want to kind of elaborate on it a little bit, but think, think with me about the first time the Lord said this was when um, he was baptized by John the Baptist. Now, he might be just saying this again along the journey as a reminder of how securely Jesus is related to the Father, but again, when he said that way back when, Jesus didn't do any miracles. And I love that, that he hears this voice, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus is then free to just kind of go out into, into his area of influence and do the work of the ministry and not do it to get the Father's approval, but because he already has the Father's approval. And I love that as a motive for me. I don't always do it, but I mean, I could see it. I could academically understand it, and I don't always operate from that premise. But could you imagine that Jesus just was so free to just move about in a totally dependent relationship on the Father, but he came from the place of always being loved. He knew it, that he came from the community of eternal, everlasting lovers. That's where he came from. So, of course, when he hears that confirmation, this is my beloved son, he's going to operate from that place of just absolute, immersed, unconditional, unmerited love. And I don't think I really know that, to be honest with you. I don't really think I know that. I know Jesus knew that, but I don't think I really know that. I want to know it, um, but he did. So he starts with the Father's approval, and he did good works from acceptance. He didn't do good works for acceptance. He did what he did not to get anything, but he did what he did to give everything. Here's the thing. We may never do what Jesus did, but we could live how Jesus lived. We could, we could live how Jesus lived. How did he live? He lived in total dependence on the Father. He lived with a knowing that he's accepted and he's always loved. We do it by faith, but Jesus also did it by faith. I don't know how, I, that's weird to me because I, he knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. He knew, he knew he, but he, he's, he in, a, in, in his like humanness, right, he was fully surrendered and yielded, and he didn't, he never acted independent from the Father. And so we too can live from being justified, from being sanctified, uh, from being already forgiven, accepted, and loved, and one with the Father. We're free from trying to get anything from God, and we're free to give everything. Don't you think the most dangerous people in the church? I know you're like, what? <laughs> Go home now. <laughs> Better beat the hurricane. Um, well, if you think about it, because I think I was one of these people, and I could, uh, prob I could see them easily because I was one. But if you don't know that you're loved by the Father, maybe you enter into ministries and in rooms looking for ways to get love and approval rather than ways to give love and approval. And so, like, sometimes it's harder to take a ministry away as a pastor. It's harder to take a ministry away from, and if you take over a church that someone else pastored, it's super hard. But if you, give, if you give a ministry to someone and then they use that ministry in a utilitarian way, like they're just using the people 
to get their own worth and validation, thinking that, you know, um, if I get their acceptance, and they're just getting a need met from people that they could only get that need met in Christ. And my thought is our worth and acceptance doesn't come from our position in the church. It comes from our position in Christ. I could care less about being the pastor. I don't get off on that. I don't, you know, know, like easier said than done, you're the pastor. I don't believe that the church is a pyramid scheme. Like the pastor's at the top and he's the closest one to God. Because if you think that way, then you'll try to climb up there and you'll just use people because you think, well, I'll close the gap. I just read a quote by, she's French, Julian, oh man, I, I forget her name. But she said, and she's dead. She's like from the 1600s. She says, betwixt, you know who I'm talking about? Yes, you got it. She said, betwixt God and me, there is no in-between. Yeah, betwixt God and me, there is no in-between. Because she didn't believe in a gap theory to like, well, go to seminary, learn the Greek, learn the Hebrew, you know, uh, because, get that spot in the church. And then, you know, like you're closing. She didn't believe in a gap theory. We have gap theory in church, and it has nothing to do with evolution. Um, So anyways, safe people know like what Jesus knew. I'm beloved of the Father. I'm I'm okay. You could turn a Jesus loose, obviously, because he's safe. He's not trying to use people to get worth and validation. Looks like I'm milking a cow. I'm not. He's not trying to extract from people. He's not utilitarian. He's not using people. He went into the world because he had everything and he wanted to give everything. Now I'm bowling. <laughs> um, so that, to me, that's safety because you're just, you're just trying to, you're not using people. So knowing our identity, I know this is huge in the grace community and we all need to know our identity because if we, have, if we know our identity, then we can move to the transformation side and we could start with the activity. Like sometimes we don't, we don't leave the identity part, we, and then that's okay. Some people just really need to get it, get it, get it, and that's okay. But when we know who we are, we could then be who we are. We could live out of the imperatives of the Bible when we know we have the imparted life of Christ who tells us that in the Bible. I put this slide up here because most of the New Testament epistles are front-loaded. Have you ever noticed that? Before I knew my identity in Christ, I would go right to like, bless God, you want to be a good father? Turn to Ephesians 6. (laughs) Ben, you want to be a good Pharaoh taskmaster boss, you little business owner? Turn to Ephesians 6. Um, But you would go to the back of the epistles where all the imperatives are that tells them what to do, what to do, what to do, what to do. And sometimes you get confused, right? Like you want to be a good husband, you want to be a good wife, you want to be a good father, you want to be a good mother, you know, go to the back, go to the back of the book, like back of the bus, get it? Um, I would always go to the back of the book. But when you go to the front of the book, you're forgiven, you're loved, you're accepted, you're joined to Christ. Even the 
the X-rated church, the worst church in the new covenant, he tells the Corinthians, basically, you have everything in Christ. He tells them in chapter one, they have everything. And then he says, but by the way, come on, you know? <laughs> Even the Gentiles are, even the world's like, what are you doing? So, but the Bible, I love how the, the, the New Testament epistles start with who you are in Christ. He wants to establish your identity so that you don't get the cart before the horse like, okay, if I, if I start loving my wife and parenting my, my children and then working my job, Maybe I'll get accepted. Maybe I'll get forgiven. Maybe I'll get righteous. Maybe I'll get holiness. And he's like, to the saints, to the holy ones. He starts with who you are. And then he says, basically, this is what holy ones look like, right? This is what someone that knows their identity in Christ looks like as a husband to his wife and as a wife to her husband. And, and so then he goes to the imperatives. That's all I'm trying to say is um, they tell you who you are, then they tell you what to do, and that's what a righteous, sanctified, justified, accepted, always being loved uh, child of God looks like at, at work, at school, in your neighborhood, in your marriage, in your parenting. But we don't do those things to get God's approval and acceptance. That's why he tells you in the beginning you already have it. So look at verse, um, it'll be on the screen, but verses six and seven, and then... When the disciples heard this, the voice from heaven, this is my beloved son, then they fell on their faces and were terrified. And Jesus came and touched them, and he said, rise, um, have no fear. And this is a common response when people had encounters with the divine. I mean, think about it. Moses, Abraham, Joshua, Jacob, Isaiah, the apostle John in Revelation, the response is always kind of the same. They saw God for who he was, and they saw themselves for who they were, and they responded in true worship. And isn't that what God is after anyways? God is a spirit, and they that worship him uh, must worship him in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. That word seek such is hot pursuit. Any of you guys that play like video games, um, hot pursuit, right? I don't play video games, but... Um, my son does. He's in Hopper. He's looking for true worshipers. And I think when God pulls the curtain back and people saw God for who he really was, the response was true worship. You know, when, when God re would reveal himself, he'd often say, the place that you're at is holy, right? I think I have a slide for that. This side of the cross, there's no more holy place, places, but there's holy people. So... God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush, right? I always think of Popeye. I am what I am. <laughs> he says, I, I, who, who should I say that sent or is sending me? The I am. And we all know Jesus uses the same phrase because he, he is God. But what made that place holy? Because God says, take off your shoes because the place that you're at is holy ground. What is it like super sanctified dirt? I've been to the Middle East. I've been like, I've been to the Holy Land. It actually kind of made me sick to my stomach when the people there idolize the places. It really kind of bothered me in my spirit. Not, I'm not, look, I'm not a very good Christian. I'll just tell you up front. 
but something's bothered me. Like when we were at the Temple Mount, you, you guys have heard of um, uh, Messianic Jews. The people, they're Jewish and became Christians. I'm all for that. I even went to a school uh, in New Jersey that was all about you know, reaching the Jews and all that kind of stuff. All about this. He was a convert. But we were there in, um, um, at, the, at the Temple Mount where the Mosque of Omar is now, the Blue Dome with the gold roof and everything. It's a tinderbox there, man. It's like World War III is about to happen at any minute. It was during Ramadan. The Muslims are like, they're doing their thing. The Jews are doing their thing, and the Christians are doing their thing, and everyone's praying for everyone. And, but we're there, and this Messianic Jew is like, oh, don't you sense it? We're at the most holy place on earth. This is where the Shekinah glory of, and I was like, thinking to myself, almost in like a, I was at the top of the mountain throwing rocks down. I was at the Mount of Revelation throwing rocks down. I'm like, dude, if you only knew, you are the holy place. The Shekinah glory of God is in you. He's in you. And I thought, man, wherever I walk, when I walk back to the States, which I have to take a plane from the Middle East, but when I go back to the States, um, though I'm where there's no more holy places there's just holy people and what what God was telling Moses is the place what made that place holy was not the dirt was not the bush was not the, the only thing that made that place holy was the presence of God so where's the presence of God location 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 so what makes you holy is not what you do or don't do what you avoid to do and what you promise to do with your promise keeper convention that what makes you what makes you holy is the presence of God. Amen. And that's what that's what God was trying to say there. So we had this encounter with Joshua as well. Remember, Joshua was going to um, take over the city of Jericho, and then he has this showdown. Um, not a showdown, but a conversation with the captain of the Lord of hosts. Joshua kind of figures out, this is in Joshua chapter five. He kind of figures out um, who he's talking with, and then the captain of the Lord of hosts says, take your shoes off for the place you're at's holy ground. What made that place holy was the presence of God. It wasn't the dirt, right? And I, I think what's cool about that story to me is before Joshua could have victory over Jericho, God had to first have victory over Joshua. Amen. And I think that's what happened right there. He had that encounter. He was in the presence of God. But here's the thing. We have that encounter all the time. We just don't know it because we have the, I mean, we're, there's no more holy places. It really bothered me, buddy, in Utah. It really bothered me. Like this one guy, my, my wife's heard me tell this story, but it really bothered me because you remember where I lived, right? Well, they were building the, a Mormon temple. Like I could huck a Book of Mormon and hit this place from my house they could baptize for the dead and come to my house and make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and go back and do more work for the dead. So I was at the post office because the government said, nope, we're not selling this land. I, it was a really weird showdown with them. And this guy was taking pictures, and um, it says the house of the Lord and everything of the, the New Mormon Temple. It upped our value of our property. I was, so, I was super stoked about that. Um, but he was like, man, I want to take a, 
picture of this holy place, and he wanted me to take a picture with him in it and the temple in the background. And I almost thought about saying this, you should take a picture of me. I almost thought about saying that, take a picture of me. Because it's not about a holy place, it's about the person and the presence of God. Where he is makes it holy. You know know where the Bible says, uh, be holy for I am holy? It doesn't say become holy. That verse ever trip you out? Be holy. You know what that means? Be who you are. Christian, Christian maturity, in my mind, is just becoming who you already are in Christ. That's it. You're not getting bigger, faster, stronger for God. Be holy. Just be who you are. He's in you. Be. <laughs> so be who God already made you to be. But here's, here's what they would often do. You'd have an encounter with God. They would dust themselves off. And Joshua's plans got rearranged. After God had victory over Joshua, um, Joshua then had victory over Jericho. And then he says, what do you have your servant to do? And I think this is the important part in transformation is like when we have these encounters with God, what the common response of people that really had an encounter with God is, what do you want me to do? Because they know they're not working to get something. They just got something. So they're like, what, do you, what can I do about it? What do you want me to do? And isn't that the most common question you hear in the grace message? It's like, well, just tell me what to do. What, what am I supposed to do? Okay, I have everything. You know, I get it. And maybe this is a part of the piece. I'm not probably articulating it the best, but I kind of know in my heart that's what's going on. <laughs> I don't know if it's coming out. But they would say, well, what do you have your servant to do? I think angels, because they behold the presence of God, They can't wait to do things with God. I'll even use the word for. They can't wait to do these things for God. I'm just speculating here, and I could be wrong, but because they're beholding God, right, and they're seeing him for who he really is, I bet they delight to do the will of God. Whatever it is, what do you have me to do? They probably can't wait. Um. I'm just trying to put the, the activity back into the identity. You guys know, you guys know what I'm up to, right? <laughs> so it's a catch and release pro- proposition. So they got it from Jesus, and now he's saying, okay, let's go give it out. So they had the information. They had the revelation. Now they could go do the work uh, from having a transformation. So they freely received Um, to freely release the life of Christ to all those around them. Again, we do good works from being always loved, not in order to gain or garner God's love, right? So the love of Christ is compelling, but it's also propelling, I think. And here's something, too. Like, you've heard the statement, if sin will cause us to go further than we wanted to go and do more than we wanted to do and to pay more than we ever thought, Imagine what the amazing grace and the power of Christ would do. Why do we always give credit to sin? Like, sin will make you pay more than you wanted to do and make you go further. Like, if sin has so much mileage under its belt, I wonder how much grace could pull off, right? (laughs) Just curious. Just spitballing with (laughs) y'all. Let's go to verse 8. So they saw Jesus. 
So when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. I love this idea. I'm so glad that God put this in the Bible. So Moses represents the law. He was not there. Elijah and the prophet, who represents the prophets, he was not there. It was cool that they were there, but the law and the prophets aren't there. It's Jesus only. So the law and the prophets were until John, the Bible says, and then it's Jesus. Now, here's the thing. We could learn from the law and the prophets, but we don't live from the law and the prophets. Because I, I think a lot of times people misunderstand our grace, new covenant idea, and they're like, you're antinomialism. You're just against, you're a Moses basher, right? Or uh, you hate the law. And I'm like, here's the thing. Just because I teach the new covenant and grace and everything, I don't think I'm under the law, but I'm not lawless. I'm under the Lord, right? I'm under the Lord. What's better, to be under some tablets? <laughs> I don't have a relationship with rocks or stones. I, that's inanimate. That's dead. That's lifeless. It's, it's a ministry of condemnation. I have, I'm under the Lord. I'm not under the law. Yeah, and so... There with the, the law and the prophets were gone, and it was Jesus only. So here's the thing. They were signposts. I think there's a, a sign. I threw this up here for you guys. I don't know where you're coming from. We're mobiles 257 miles away. There it is. You're up, you're up north, obviously, because you're coming south. But once you get to Mobile, Alabama... The signposts served their purpose. Well, you guys came from a long way. You guys, and you guys came from a long ways away. How many miles? <laughs> you were confirming my prophetic bent that I've had all along, and now. <laughs> so a lot of miles. I don't, I don't believe it. Was it really 200? I do kind of believe you. This is a, are you guys messing with me? <laughs> this is such a random sign off the interwebs. Are you guys witnessing this? I, I threw this up here. You get it, don't film this. We don't know what's going on. This is weird. This is a random sign about coming from somewhere. Okay, okay, I'll go with that. But when you got to your destination, you're not like, you don't have a relationship with the signpost. You know what I mean? You don't go back and kiss it and take pictures with it and worship it and go to the church of 257 miles to Mobile, Alabama. My point is this, is like, um, the law and the prophets were a signpost to point you to Jesus. And now that you're at the destination, they look, they open their eyes and it was Jesus only. Moses is up top, Elijah's at the bottom, and they're like, here's Jesus, here's Jesus, here's, now they're there. And, and they're, it, it, look at Peter's tune changed, too. He's not, he's not crying like, I just really wanted to build tents for Moses and Elijah. He wasn't doing that because he had Jesus, and Jesus was enough. So we could learn from the law and the prophets, but we don't live from them because they're just a signpost. Here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. Martin, look, look, that's why I stuttered a little bit, because he's got two L's in his name. 
The ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. And I think these guys were totally amazed of grace who is a person. Grace was before them, and they saw him for who he was. And the law and the prophets were gone, and it was Jesus only. Um, And they were amazed. Here's a theme that I've had in every church that I've ever had the privilege of pastoring, except one church that I didn't have the privilege of pastoring. Um, Will you put this sign up? It's the Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I've used it everywhere. I just love it. It's not, I don't, it's not even original with me. I shoplifted it from someone. I don't even know. Because originality is just the art to conceal your source. Boom. So Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I believe this wholeheartedly. I totally believe it. And these guys had Jesus only. So this, this equation... And the question of questions, one that I think the devil was trying to pose to God when he was messing with Job. If Christ is all that you have, would Christ be all that you would ever need or want? Right? If Christ, if it's Jesus only, is that enough? Because think back in the garden, all they had was God. And don't you think the devil was trying to say, like, if God is all that you have, is God enough? You really just want you and God? You really just want Jesus only? And so we settle for things less than Jesus, right? All the time. I think we're always settling for things less than Jesus. Here's something funny. Throw up this next slide. Because, you know, driving to y'all's church, I passed irrelevant church, relevant church, irreverent church, the source church, the water church, the tree church, the well church. There's so many churches But if every church had a marquee sign, this one I just thought was just funny. Independent, old-timey, hellfire, brimstone, King James preaching. That's it. They just stop right there. (laughs) You know that sermon's going on and on. Well... I don't know if you could read it. It's probably way bigger up here than it is back there. But what if, it, what if you were new to town? You were 257 miles from... Creeping me out, dudes. 257 miles from Mobile. You show up to Mobile, your destination, and you're like, it's Sunday. We're on... My phone freaked out on the way over here. <clears throat> Hurricane watch. Giving me those, those alerts. Um, but you're, you're like, we, we got to stay here. We, you know, we got to stay here and let's go to church. So you're driving down church row and, you know, you come up to irrelevant church and it's how to be rich and skinny, how to be a rich and skinny Christian, right? Five steps to becoming holy. Who's the antichrist or Jesus only? Which church secretly, which church would you go to? I'd probably go to the one who's the Antichrist, because <laughs> I really want to know. I know we can't know until he be removed, then he's revealed, but um, <laughs> but the Jesus only one, I think, would be the least attended. I think. I don't know. That'd be cool if it wasn't, right? But I don't know. I don't I don't I don't know where this. So, Augustine of Hippo, this is a quote, 
Seldom is Jesus sought for the sake of Jesus. That was, how long ago was that? Augustine of Hippo? So Moses was the law, Elijah was the prophets, but when they looked up, they saw Jesus only, the grace of God himself, the testator, the one that purchased our redemption, tasted death for every man, was buried, and the second half of the gospel, he rose again from the dead to give us life, to offer us his life for free. So in verse 9, to kind of wrap this thing up, they came down the mountain. So verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, dot, 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 because I didn't want to go into the other stuff about uh, what their conversations were. You could study that out. But a few verses later, in Matthew 17, verse 14, which will also be on the screen, and when they came to the crowd, so, that, so they're coming down the mountain, they had this awesome experience. Where did Moses and Elijah, how did they get there? Then Jesus is shining like the power of the sun, and then his clothes are white in that environment. You know, where, where the, I don't know how you whiten clothes back in those days, but Jesus is... He's really revealing who he truly is. Um, and then they, they're so in awe. They hear this voice. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. They fall down in worship. They're just, they're just face to the ground. And Jesus says, don't fear. And he comforts them. They look up. And then the guys that appeared out of nowhere disappear out of nowhere. And then it's Jesus only. So they have this whole awesome experience. And then they're walking down the mountain. And they're having more conversations and then right when they get down the mountain, verse 14, and when they come to the crowd, a man, a man came up to him and kneeling before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And so, they, so what I'm trying to say is that this is what transformation looks like. Yes, I love information. I'm an information junkie. I love it. Yes, I love, I'm like Peter, it's good for us to be here. Let's build tents. Let's not tell anyone else about this. Let's just make this a you and me thing, Jesus, right? Let's not let anyone else in on this. I just want you for myself and no one else. And they were just us four no more, right? That was their kind of their thing. Uh, but Jesus, he knows everything and he knows the heart. So he takes them back down the mountain and then he starts ministering to people. And I think that's what the transformation thing is. And so it begins. Jesus wanted to show them that it's not about getting information and revelation, but to have a transformation that translates into doing the work of the ministry. You know, like, you know Ephesians 4, where it says there's, you know, pastors are given, evangelists and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, Right? Because if you believe what I said, like the no pyramid scheme churches, then everyone's a minister. And according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're all ministers and we're all ministers of life, it says. We're ministers of life. Um, so this is really lacing up our shoes, putting them on, walking down the mountain, and giving out what we got. I think I have a quote from my buddy Tim, who we were talking about the other day, or last night. 
Christ gave his life for us to place his life in us, to live his life in us and through us. Isn't that wonderful? Christ gave his life for us. That's the cross. Second half of the Gospels, right? He, he rose from the dead so he, to place his life. He rose from the dead so he could place his life in us. He first had to forgive us to fill us. That's what the cross is all about. But it wasn't just about the cross. He did that. I call it flush in the toilet, right? He forgave me so that he could fill me with his life. So he gave his life for us to place his life in us. And here's the, here's the transformation part, to live his life in union with us and through us. So this is what transformation looks like. It looks like the life of Christ living his righteous life through the life of the believer, right? We don't live the Christian life. Jesus is the Christian's life. How about that? We don't live the Christian life. Jesus, what did Paul say? For me to live is Christ. He's not living for Jesus. He's saying living is Jesus. So when we're living in union, in harmony with Jesus, it looks like a transformed life. So this is, we do the work of the ministry from this position. So we're not working for anything. We are working because in Christ we already have everything. Check out this passage. You already know it if you've been around the message for a while. Second Peter. But I don't want to take that for granted. Right? I just don't want to take it for granted. Like, oh, everyone knows this. So I, that's, I, I do that so often, too. I'm like, everyone knows this. I'm not going to say that again. And God's trying to deliver me from the fear of repetition, right? <laughs> maybe you know this, maybe you don't. But if you don't know this, and maybe this is milk to you or maybe this is meat to you. I don't know where you're at. So let's just read it and let the Spirit do what he wills. According as his divine power, he has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us everything for this life. I called it earlier, batteries included. He, when you got saved, you got the batteries included. You've got his life. You've got the Spirit. You've got God in your body. He's the Shekinah in you. Right, He's given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. So you get the information, you go up, you have the, the revelation. Don't make it a formula, but let's just say these guys did that. They came down the mountain, um, and now they're with Jesus. Us, we have Jesus in us, and he's given to us exceedingly great and precious promises so that by these we might be partakers of his divine nature. I forget who's coined this, but God is the dynamic of his own demand. You ever heard that phrase? God's the dynamic of his own. So in other words, if he's going to say, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, that's an imperative, he's going to be the power source for you to pull that off. If he's going to say, hey, love your enemies, he's going to be the, the, he's going to be the agape sourced power to do so because in me, I don't have that kind of resource. That kind of love is going to be a God-sized love, so I'm going to need the resource of God to pull it off. So he's the dynamic of his own demand. In other words, he's the dunamis, the Greek word for he's the power source. I'm just calling it he's the battery. <laughs> right? You got batteries included when you got Christ. You have everything. So this is what freedom looks like. We're free from trying to make ourselves right with God because we are already right with God. And now we're free to love God and to love others because that is right with God. <laughs> See that play of word there? That's right with God. All my grace buddies are leaving California. 
all of our families leaving California. As soon as we moved back, all of our families started just leaving. Paul left. It's like, have you ever, did you ever know Jim Fowler, James Fowler? Yeah. So, and he was down by us, and uh, we would do lunches often, and he was trying to give me his library, but it took like four trailers full. He had one of the largest private collections of Bibles of antiquity in the, in the whole country. And he gave it all to, I think, was it Westminster? It was some, it was some uh, seminary. Um, and he always asked me to keep coming down and get books and get books. And I'm like, I don't even read the books that I got. So I, it was way better to put it into a place like that. But he had so many books. But I'll never forget what he would always say. He would say, we live in cooperation with God's divine operation. Yeah, I had to think about it quite often. I'm like, what does that mean? Because <laughs> he's super smart. And I think what he means is, these guys came down the mountain, they had to cooperate. With Jesus is confronted with some people that wanted some ministry help. He has all the divine resources, and so he's cooperating with God's divine operation. And I think that's how we just kind of, it's not by formula, but it's by faith. Christ is not only the supplier, he's the supply. You ever heard that? He gives you the resources. He will be your resource. So only God could make us godly. Only the Spirit could make us spiritual. Uh, and only Christ could make us Christians. And only God's grace can make us gracious. And only his power living in us and through us can do what he's asking us to do. That's why we're not doing it for Jesus we're doing it with and from Jesus, the power source. Because we, we don't come down the mountain alone, right? We're with and united with Christ. So we could live tr this transformed life because we have the transformer, <laughs> Jesus, living in us and through us. So we could walk down the mountain, go the second mile, uh, because we have the unlimited mileage Jesus living through us. I like that one. Just wrote that one today. Probably because we got in a lease, and it was a really big deal for the mileage. And, but you know where he says, you know, go the second mile, go the second mile. go the, We have unlimited mileage Jesus in us, wanting to go the second mile, the third mile, the fourth mile through us. Here's a quote. Um, Grace doesn't ask how far until the second mile. Grace asks, how many miles do you want to go? Is that up there? Yeah. Oh, no, it's not. Okay, so go back to that quote that was just up there, and let's just kind of wrap this up here. So coming down the mountaintop of Revelation may mean that we talk to people we don't want to talk to, and I think sometimes we could be so insulated that we only surround ourselves with people that agree with us. Do you agree with that? <laughs> What if coming down the mountain, the first guy this guy runs into is his, his son is demon-possessed. How many demon-possessed people do you hang out with, right? I'm not trying to challenge anyone or anything. I'm just saying, like, transformation might look like spending time and have, having relationships with people that you otherwise wouldn't have, perhaps. Be like Jesus. Spend enough time with sinners to ruin your reputation with religious people, Right? So Christian, we could give everything we have in Christ because in Christ you have been given everything that you have. 
as we come down the mountaintop of Revelation. I don't know what your transformation will look like, but I like what this guy said. He's dead. He said this, last quote and I'll be done. Preach Christ always and sometimes use words. Do you ever just kind of just operate that way? I'm at Huntington Beach about three or four times a week. I do a lot of work down there. I do my school work down there. Um, and it's a beautiful place to do work from. Um, and I have a lot of conversations with a lot of different people. And I'll tell you what, it's way more, it's way more conservative than you guys would ever think or give it credit. There are so many rallies there. There was Trump galore rallies all the time. And people are preaching there all the time. And that, like, I get approached all the time. And it's like, it's this weird anomaly in Southern California. It's just super weird. It doesn't, because it's not that way at Venice Beach. It's not that way at other, other beaches that are super liberal and everything's, you know, that you would, you would accuse California of being. It's all that. You guys are correct. But this place is an anomaly. They never believed in masks the whole time. They're just like, live your life. Where <laughs> was there just a weird, so I love that place because it's just, so when I'm there, I'll oftentimes run into people um, and talk to people that I normally wouldn't, I wouldn't talk to. Um, and it's just kind of, and I'm usually just doing my work and I'm approached and I just have conversations. I'd rather do that than to be in my office, to be honest with you. Because um, I've met so many people. I met a guy that I went, my daughter and I went sailing with out of Newport, just met him. They're like, hey, come sailing. I'm like, cool, we're, we're Christian buddies now. Just meeting people all over. It's just crazy. Um, but when I'm there, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with the street preachers I, I, in the sense that it's not my style. But I'm not, I, for them, you know, the Bible says some save with fear, you know, pull them out of the fire. Others have compassion. I'm kind of more on that side. But I'm not, I, whatever, they're doing it, that's fine. But sometimes you could just preach Christ. He's on my mind, and I'm available all the time. Lord Jesus, if you want me to share your life, I'll do so. And that's all I'm saying. Just trying to be available to share Christ. So information, revelation, transformation. Don't make it a formula, but hopefully you'll think correctly, which will change your trajectory, so where you'll behave correctly, but hopefully you won't neglect the whole work is not a dirty word in the grace community, right? If we do it because we know we have everything and lack nothing because we have Christ. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful church and this conference and the opportunity to just share your word and to share your life. And I'm glad that we could do life together and be life together because we have your life. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.